Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Oh my God, today's a special day. Wait, what? why is today special? Because it's Juju Chen's birthday or Sarah, the day before Sarah Haynes' who's, birthday? Who's Juju Chen? I mean, Juju Chang from ABC News. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't leave the journalist at the door, <laughs> know it. Little Nas X put his album out, his debut album's out. Oh my god! Honestly, I can't. I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. I stayed up last night to listen to the whole thing, to watch the new music video. How many stars? Now I will say that Ooh. I did see the music video, and it was a trigger. We'll talk about it later. We are talking about it um, because there's but. just so much that. Little Nas X really represents, um, and I think we we have to dive in on it today. I have not listened to the album. How many stars do you give it? Oh, automatically, I'm giving it automatically out of ten. I'm giving it a nine. Okay, it's a it's a pretty great album from the visuals to to everything. But we'll dive in more a little bit later. Coming up on today's show, it's all about big revelations from Trump's final days in the White House to if Facebook will even be able to bounce back after some reports. That's all coming up this hour. Hour and more. Are you ready to dive into the show? Charge ourselves here with me, by the way. And it's my last day. I know. Shira will be back Monday. I know everyone's so thrilled about that. I know I am. <laughs> Come on back, Shira. Take your seat, girl. Take your seat. Yeah, I'm ready to start the show. Oh my God. Okay, let's get into it. First things first, Pope Francis told um, reporters on Wednesday the Catholic Church is unable to bless same-sex marriages because marriage is a divine sacrament between a man and a woman. Um, he said this, which is so funny. I, I, this quote, is I don't know why I chuckled at it, but it's hilarious. He says, I have spoken clearly about this, no? <laughs> well, uh, when he was I at... Like, I feel like every few years, every I feel like this goes back and forth. Yes! I, I also feel like he like approved it and was like, he yes, just did. He just approved it not too long ago, which is so frustrating. I'm like, am I losing my mind? Yeah, so he, he was asked if he approved of legislation supporting um, marriage equality, and he said marriage is a sacrament. Mar- marriage is a sacrament. The church doesn't have the power to change sacraments. It is as our Lord established. Um, he also warned against, though, condemning members of the LGBTQ plus community, saying, quote, these are our brothers and sisters and we need to be close to them. He did not com- uh, comment on nations that refuse to allow same-sex marriage because of church doctrine. Which though. he should have. That's the question right there. My thing is, pro- Francis has been sitting in the on the the middle line and on the fence for a very long time because he doesn't want to 
anger, you know, the church folks, but then he also wants to show up for queer people. And but- is there a way, one could uh, could uh, argue, is there a way to fully embrace our, quote, brothers and sisters while also putting, like, life-altering boundaries no. on the on the quality, on their quality of life? For some people, marriage is a quality of life. When, yeah. it, when it gets down to that will... And, and pulling the plug or not mm-hmm. to pull the plug should something happen and you're in the hospital if we're not married I can't get in to the person who I just spent 40 years of my life with no and but that's their so strange sister can come in and start making you know yeah. making demands and calling shots that's also, not right also just saying brothers and sisters is uh, you're already kind of messing up at that point because there's a there's all these folks that exist outside of the binary in yeah. our community that you are just now excluding but we gotta keep moving forward um, the commander uh, CENTCOM commander General Keith McKenzie is speaking out about the Kabul strike that was supposed to target ISIS terrorist? Well, here's the viral clip um, of him talking about it, and here's what he had to say. I am now convinced that as many as 10 civilians, including up to seven children, were tragically killed in that strike. Moreover, we now assess that it is unlikely that the vehicle and those who died were associated with ISIS-K or were a direct threat to U.S. forces. I offer my profound condolences to the family and friends of those who were killed. This strike was taken in the earnest belief that it would prevent an imminent threat to our forces and the evacuees at the airport. But it was a mistake, and I offer my sincere apology. As the combatant commander, I am fully responsible for this strike and this tragic outcome. Yeah, I mean, to, that's a really big mistake to 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 get the wrong vehicle and basically kill seven children and that's, three adults. That's, that's beyond a, huge, a mistake. Like, I hope it keeps them up at night. I don't even understand how you can um, kind it's of disgusting. move forward in this. Uh, last, though, in our What's Trending Top of the Hour, right before we get to the T-Report, guess what? If you are a Moderna vaccine girl, you're winning. <laughs> oh, I'm a Moderna mommy. Same. Okay, okay. A head-to-head study of all three authorized uh, coronavirus vaccines in the United States finds the Moderna vaccine is slightly more effective than the Pfizer in real-life use in keeping people out of the hospital. And uh, Johnson & Johnson's uh, Janssen vaccine uh, comes in third, but still provides 71% Child, knew that. Uh, protection. Moderna now, is the one that the black woman developed, right? Actually, is that the one? I think so. Oh, well, I mean, I'm so if happy. I'm not mistaken. I have her in my arm. Um, Pfizer vaccines provided 88% protection against hospitalization, and Moderna's was 93% effective. No, that's right. Um, we love to see it. The uh, U- U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention led a nationwide study of vaccination involving more than 3,600 adults hospitalized for COVID-19 between March and August. And that is your What's Trending This Hour. What's happening in the team report? So we were just talking about Lil Montero at the top of the show. Uh Um, And his album dropped last night. It features guest spots from Jack Harlow, Miley Cyrus, Eldon John, Doja Cat, and my girl Megan Thee Stallion, a.k.a. my pastor. And it is currently sweeping streaming services. But there was a video released last night for his single, his new single, That's What I Want. And it includes graphic depictions of gay sex, tender male-on-male moments, and lyrics that make it clear that he's singing about a man, which is revolutionary, is it not? Male-on-male moments. Listen, I'm reading directly from LGBTQ Nation, okay? I'm just, I'm just doing my job. But it's it's, it's revolutionary. It was. It, it is. It's a it's a revolutionary as you. We've never put. seen this before, especially from a black mm-hmm. queer artist yeah. on a mainstream platform. Yeah. 
And even me as a Further trans woman, yeah. even me as a trans woman, that music video triggered the hell out of me. <laughs> the storyline in that, I was like, now wait a minute, I wanted no football locker rooms doing the. But when he showed up at the house with them flowers, you all have to see oh, this video. Oh my gosh. Yes. 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 I mean, I. Um, it's on his YouTube. Little, that, it's called That's What I Want. It was it was never um, it was never a, a football player, but it was most definitely oh, was under the stairs uh, in the in the gym, you know, under and you know whatever. Anyway, I'm not gonna tell my business because I'm getting triggered. Anyway, is that it? <laughs> I mean that that is it. If you all have not seen this video, please go see it and let us know what you think at LGBT show. All right, let's uh, keep moving with this show really quick. Actually, I want to play a little bit of it. I think I have a clip of it. Great. I just. It is a good song. Okay, so that we got more show coming up though. I just wanted to play a little bit of that. You know, I love me some Lil Nas X. I hope to hear it here on the channel Q. That's a good song. It is a really good song. Now let's uh, dive into the show. Bob Woodward's new book about Trump's final days in the White House revealed damning new information, and we're getting right into it all coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. Now here we go. More damning information has come out about Trump's final days in the White House, and a new book called Peril by Bob Woodward and Robert Costa, it revealed that General Mark A. Milley was so fearful that Trump might spark war that he made secret calls to his Chinese counterpart. Now, there's so much more here that we're going to dive into. So I'm so happy that we have Jennifer Rubin, Washington Post opinion columnist here to help us with everything we need to know. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Please. Okay, let's start from the beginning, because what are some of the top line things that we should know about this new damning information, just to catch everyone up? Well, there's a question, actually, about whether these calls were secret or not. Um, the way um, some people took the report was that he was off, you know, in a dark closet someplace, um, calling up the Chinese saying, don't worry, we're not going to blow you up. Um, other information suggests that this was part of the sort of routine military-to-military um, military conversations that go on, that there were many other officials in the administration involved in this, um, that it's fully prepared, it's fully um, vetted, uh, that this is just part of the normal course of U.S.-China relations. So depending upon which way you take that, it's either a big deal or it's not really a big deal. I think the other revelation here was that uh, he was uh, talking to uh, the chain of command down below and saying, listen, I need to know if uh, anyone is giving you an order um, to start a nuclear war. And this is reminiscent, of course, of what happened during uh, Watergate um, when Mm -hmm. some of the people around Richard Nixon were very concerned he might start a war. That, too, um, may be a little bit... um, to, uh, to do about nothing. Um, in fact, there is a whole process for um, going through the chain of command. And it really was emphasizing one important uh, factor that I applaud him, and that is that our military officials are not obligated. In fact, they're told not to 
follow any kind of illegal order. And frankly, launching a nuclear war without any kind of provocation simply to save your political skin is sort of the definition of a war crime. Uh, So if he was simply reminding them, listen, whatever he says to you, make sure you understand what your obligations are, then that's perfectly fine. Then he's not, I think, interfering with uh, the chain of command. I think what's really interesting about this is how nuts Trump was and how many Republicans were pretending he wasn't nuts. (laughs) But you're so right. You know, know that's their favorite pastime, child. Oh, absolutely. You know, oh, he's fine. Oh, the media exaggerates. And they play along like this guy is, you know, 100 percent there when, in fact, he's a raving lunatic. And they're still supporting him and they're still following his direction. And they would make him president tomorrow if they could. They sure would. So I think uh, I think what kind of comes out of this is not so much that I'm surprised at Trump or that I'm surprised that responsible military figures were kind of running around, make sure the country didn't blow up um, in the last couple of months of the presidency. But that so many Republicans for so long have been playing dumb, have been playing like this guy is, you know, if not some genius, at least someone who's sane. And we know he's not. Um, And again, I think it just reflects back on the cowardice of Congress, the cowardice of the Republican uh, sort of ecosphere, um, all the pundits and the activists um, who have just enabled this guy, even when he could possibly have done real, real damage to the country and the world. Speaking of that, there has been so much conversation, well, there was rather so much conversation around the 25th Amendment, which has multiple sections about kind of replacing the president. Why do you think that was never invoked? I think a fear and cowardice. Um, In fairness, the 25th Amendment is not really that well written, and we don't really know um, what would trigger it, whether being a raving lunatic would be enough or whether you have to be like unconscious the way uh, President Wilson, for example, was. So my first point on that would be I think we need some clarifying language and some real structure for the 25th Amendment so that in the future, cabinet officials know what sorts of steps they can take. Uh, perhaps we set up some kind of panel of doctors um, that um, people could sort of buy into. So that needs a whole lot more, I think, structure. So in one sense, I don't kind of blame them because that's really um, kind of never, never land. But I think, again, we come back to this situation. Why did these people quit just after uh, January 6th? What was well, the matter with them? And I think Why didn't any of them speak up before? That's a, I, I totally agree there because I feel like this really shows how complicit everyone was. And, and for me, that's why I'm hesitant to even really um, put General, you know, Millie in this like high regard because everyone knew that this was going on. Uh-huh. And it feels like they were putting all of our lives in danger at this point. So what, what, what do you think we should be learning from this information? I mean, just in case we get another unstable president, do you think people will be able to, you know, will will step up and and call it out when we're in the middle of it? Or do you think we'll kind of repeat this cycle? Well, I would strongly suggest not electing any more of these people. (laughs) (laughs) Including dog catcher. Yeah, they're not really responsible. So that would be number one piece of advice. Um, Number two, we really do need a whole bunch more guardrails. I'm not, frankly, uh, comfortable with the the commander-in-chief having unilateral power to launch a nuclear um, war, whether he's sane or he's not sane. 
So I think we need to go through a whole bunch of stuff, whether it's national security stuff, whether it's looking at the White House's interaction with this Justice Department and start thinking, okay, how do we set up some guardrails, not when there's a sane, decent president, but when there wouldn't be? And then what what are the kind of structures, what are the kind of rules we need to make sure this doesn't happen again? And there have been some tr- attempts at that. Um, the uh, Congressman Schiff um, from California has a whole set of proposals having to do with the Justice Department yeah. in order to restrain the White House. So those are the things I think we should be looking at long term. Well, if you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did, guess what? Miss Jennifer Rubin has a book coming out. Resistance, How Women Save Democracy from Donald Trump is released on September 21st, Ooh. right? Yes, it is. Next Thank week. you. No, of course. You know we got a promo because you just have been so awesome and so enjoyable. Uh, just one more time, she is a Washington Post opinion columnist. And make sure to get her book, which is coming out September 21st, The Resistance, How Women Save Dom- Democracy from Donald Trump. It, it's true. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Bye-bye. Of course. Now, I was not lying when I said today's show is all about revelations. News just dropped that Facebook has been burying, uh, burying its new research. That's coming up in more, of course. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink... What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now this week it was revealed that Facebook's internal research knew more about the harms of social media than it originally wanted the world to know. Joining us for this conversation is Will Oremus, a technology news analyst, writer at the Washington Post. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now this is crazy. I think the this <laughs> this report and the findings from this report just really feels very just damning. Can you break down this the revelations that came out earlier about Facebook and what exactly did they know when we're talking about this? Yeah, you're talking about the the reports that came out this week in the Wall Street Journal, right? Called the Facebook files. Yes, of course. I mean, if there's more, let us know. <laughs> I mean, they never stop with Facebook, do they? It's just like the, the company they like n- quite literally never stop. Of, <laughs> of problematic revelations. But yeah, these were special because they came out all in a row 
They were all reported by the Wall Street Journal, and and they were all based on internal documents, internal reports and research that people at Facebook had done about the social network's own problems and flaws and harms, but that the company never publicized. This was like research they paid to, to do, and they came up with it, and then they were like, ah, let's keep that a secret. And um, whoever did that work decided that they didn't want it to be a secret, and eventually uh, they started talking, I guess, with folks from Wall Street Journal, and uh, and they, they published five reports, one for each day this week, all on different topics. And, and so, you know, we can go through them one by one, but one of the most, one of the ones that made the most waves was one where Facebook found that Instagram users especially teen, teen girls, overwhelmingly mm-hmm. report that the app uh, contributes to body image problems, that it mm-hmm. makes them feel worse about themselves. Some even said that it triggered thoughts of suicide. Now, this is not probably a shock to people who, who you know are familiar with Instagram, but the fact that Facebook studied it and knew it and didn't tell people is, to me, the, the, the revelation there. Yeah, I know. I, I was just uh, reading a report about this earlier this week, and I'm like, listen, I'm a 33-year-old woman, and sometimes Instagram posts get to me, so I can only imagine right. what it's like for a 13-year-old little girl or, you yeah. know, a little boy or, or binary, non-binary person. But I have to ask, Absolutely. why do you think that there has been this, like, history with Facebook not being transparent with quite frankly, anything like we've seen, you know, Jack Dorsey of Twitter um, be transparent. He could always be more transparent, but we've seen transparency from him and from other social media platforms. What is Mark Zuckerberg's issue? I mean, these are businesses, right? I mean, you know, it's it's interesting because they they have these platforms have such influence on the way that we talk to each other, on the, the way we spend our time, on the way we get our news that it feels like they really should be guided by some sense of, of mission or public spirit or doing good mm-hmm. in the world. And they certainly claim to be, I mean, they would like to be seen that way, but at core, these are all for-profit businesses. And so uh, they find in, you know, on many occasions that it is that they are required or they feel pressure to disclose certain things. Uh, other times they feel like they can get away with not doing it and their top executives decide that they would be better off that way. And that seems to be what happens a lot at Facebook. I wrote in my story, I wrote particularly about one issue at Facebook, which is that organizationally, uh, the same people who are in charge of making decisions about how to apply the platform's rules, like, you know, who can say what and, you know, content moderation, all that, they also have responsibility for their D.C. lobbying operation and for their public relations with the press. And so that's something a lot of critics see as a conflict of interest that might help to explain why some of these, you know, seemingly important reports never make it out of, of uh, Memo Park. Well, now that this information's out there, are we even clear on how this new information will impact, like, Facebook's policymaking and, honestly, the bottom line at the end of the day? You know, Facebook um, has had lots of scandals over the years. Um, This is sort of the latest wave of them. Uh, Probably the biggest was the Cambridge Analytica scandal. Remember that one about, um, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, letting a a political consultancy harvest people's data without their knowledge and then selling that data to the Trump campaign and Ted Cruz, among others, in the election. Uh, You know, it, it has an impact, but... At the end of the day, Facebook is still Facebook, and Mark Zuckerberg still has absolute control over the company. Uh, he does; He's shown no signs of wanting to give that up. As long as it remains Mark Zuckerberg's company, um, I think it will, it will 
remain largely the same. It does make, it's not to say it doesn't make changes. I mean, it tries to address things to the right. extent it can without harming its business model. It just turns out that, like, a lot of those harms are hard to mitigate without changing the fundamental model of what Facebook is. Well, Will Oremus, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you for breaking everything down. Thanks for having me on. All right, just to let you know, Will Oremus is the best technology news analyst writer at the Washington Post. Uh, you heard it here first. I said it. Yeah, mm-hmm, it's true. All right, now coming up, American Airlines is getting called out for removing a foot, a family from a flight because of their unmasked toddler. Did they take it too far? That's coming up and more. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Uh, you know, there's not a lot that I would say I agreed uh, with conservatives on. Really? There's not? <laughs> I don't agree with them at all. Oh, that's news to me. Oh, really? (laughs) Really? (laughs) Well, there's a story that um, conservative Twitter, I'll put it, um, is really kind of attaching themselves to. There was a video that went viral um, from American Airlines, actually. A mother and her two-year-old son were forced to deplane an American Airlines flight on Monday after the child would not keep a mask on. Her name is Amanda Pendarvis. Uh, she posted to her Instagram story that she and her young son and her mother were removed from the flight. Uh, Pendarvis said her son was having an asthma attack at the time. Flight 1284 returned to its gate at the Dallas-Fort Worth airport before departing for Colorado after the party refused to, quote, comply with crew member instructions to remain seated while on an active taxiway and to wear face coverings securely over their nose and mouth. And I'm guessing they are talking about the two-year-old who was not complying with the I don't like this at all. Now, the airline said crew members were never made aware that the child was having an asthma attack or issues breathing. Additionally, the passengers were not addressed for fail, uh, for failure to comply with face covering requirements at any point while administering treatment. Okay, do we think they took it too far? Yes. I will say, I just recently got back from Chicago, as we talked about on Tuesday. My mother just got remarried, and there was a crying baby on my flight on the way there and a crying baby on the way my flight oh, I'm back. I'm so sorry. That's the worst. I don't remember. I mean, listen, I was all up in my book that I was reading, Somewhere on the Bluffs by Sonny Hostin. But, uh... <laughs> I, so I was able to tune it out, but I can't say for certain whether those kids were wearing masks. And I just don't think that that's fair to police a two-year-old like that. Yeah, I don't either. I just think, you know, one, I, I hate an unruly child on the plane. I really do. But oftentimes, I hate an unruly child. I mean, honestly, period. Uh, but on, on the plane, that's a really big issue. But for me, I just, you know, I'll just go to sleep, I'll say, on the plane. Yeah. And I, I just tune it all out. But that's not why they kicked, they didn't kick the child out for being, quote unquote, unruly. They kicked him out for not it wearing ma- but a face how mask. How do you expect a two-year-old, a two-year-old don't, doesn't comply to anything but fruit snacks? <laughs> And YouTube, because the kids are now on the apps. I would say the Disney Channel, but the kids are now on the apps, okay? So these kids, I think it is totally and wholly unrealistic to expect a two-year-old to comply to a mask mandate. Yeah. Like, come on now. Amanda, in her initial uh, tweet, she took photos of the moment and was obviously documenting. And she uh, showed a photo of her documenting um, herself actually giving her her child an asthma because obviously the kid was having an asthma attack. It says, in the caption, it says, I do not have the energy to type all the details right now, but I will in the next couple of days. We are finally in peaceful Colorado with my in-laws, and I'm very grateful for that. But my mom, Way, and me just had the most humiliating and traumatizing experience because of a truly evil power-tripping flight attendant named Carl. 
Wow. Well, you know what? Carls need to get their lives together. And children can't be vaccinated. We should also mention That's that. That's another thing, too. And so I, here's the thing. I understand that everyone needs to wear the mask. Yes, it can get annoying. But you got to have some type of grace and space for the babies. Literally for the babies. Yeah. I can see if this child were like eight and didn't want to come because that, that's, that's a different, different thing. Yeah. But a two-year-old, I think that Carl w- was a bit power trippy. If if this is true, if the sequence of events happens like uh, Miss Pendarvis says that they did, then this was totally out of order. And American <laughs> Airlines owes her an apology and maybe some free flights. So American Airlines also said the flight crew made quote multiple attempts to reinforce safety requirements after they quote saw a minor in the party laying in the aisle and moving between seats on taxi. Okay, now here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Now that's an unruly now that's child. A, that's a little bit deeper than a, than a damn mask. That's a little bit unruly. Because the child ain't strapped in and, and doing dance routines in the aisle and stuff. Yeah. Especially, yeah, the child got to be strapped in for takeoff. Mother like needs to be a mother. That's a little intense, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but yeah, let us know what your thoughts are. Are we becoming a little too intense, especially as we're seeing airlines require everyone, you know, to be vaccinated and everything. Like, it's getting, it's going to get more stricter. It's not going to be like Which the Which I don't mind. You're in a bus in the sky and you can't crack a window. Yeah. We're all breathing each other's air. Very true. We got more show coming up though. Governor, um, the Georgia governor, Brian Kemp. Oh gosh. Honey, guess what? He thinks there's an AIDS vaccine. More details on that next and what's trending this hour. (laughs) Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. All right, we are back with more wonderful show, of course. First hour down. So much more to go. I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. It's Friday. We're giving it to you today. And actually, coming up this hour, we're talking the big differences between being in an open relationship and polyamory. We're actually getting someone on who wrote this beautiful article for HuffPost. They're going to be call- talking to us about the you know, the lessons that they learned. And- Neither one of these things are my ministry, <laughs> but I'm always fascinated at knowing other people's uh, experiences with dealing with polyamory and open relationships. I feel like we talked about a lot of relationships up this week. And for me, I am open to open relationships. But am I open and to I'm polyamory? A, Maybe. I don't know. We'll find and out. I'm a serial monogamist. For right now. No, period. We'll find out more. <laughs> um, but, you know, of course, we got that and so much more coming up this hour. So stick around because, of course, Shara and I are here and it's always going to be spicy talk. <laughs> <laughs> she likes to put it spicy talk. Let's get into what's trending this hour in a little tea report. You ready? I'm ready. Cool. So Governor Brian Kemp from Georgia, he is defending his opposition to the COVID-19 vaccine and mass mandates by telling the story of a, quote, AIDS vaccine that just simply does not exist. Um, now, you know, Kemp has said that he supports people getting vaccinated against coronavirus, but he has called President Joe Biden's vaccine mandate for federal workers, quote, unlawful overreach. He said earlier this week that he's uh, looking into legal action against the Biden administration for violating, quote, personal liberties with the vaccine mandate, which allows private sector workers to get tested instead of getting vaccinated. Now, Kemp's explanation of why he supports vaccines but opposes vaccine mandates is leaving people scratching their head, of course. Yeah, it's like, I don't understand. <laughs> this seems to be a trend that I jokingly call the Caitlyn. Yeah. Because it reminds me of when Caitlyn Jenner went down to CNN and was talking about what's going on in Texas it's with abortion backwards. rights. And it seems like this is the new shuck and jive, so to speak, of Ooh. the Republican Party. That's a good way to put it's it. straddling the fence so where he, it confuses you. Here's what he was saying. Quote, we should focus on being civil and educating people about 
with the vaccine and not trying to bully them into taking it and work at it that way. This was a him on a recent appearance on a right-wing podcast. He also went on to say this, quote, I mean, that's basically how the AIDS vaccine worked, you know? People wouldn't take it early on because it was mandated. They these started people. educating people, and now it's doing a lot of good out there. I just want to know what strain these people are on. Because <laughs> it, it, it has to be some sort of illicit substance that these people are on. Don't blame this on my good strains. Blame this on that hard stuff. No, well, okay, well, so that's why I say some illicit substance. <laughs> because are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, Brian? Truly, but, but that's these are the same people who think, you know, are in charge of women reproductive systems. And, and, and trans and th- people getting access to health care. Exactly. And it's just wild that these people who have the 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 knowledge of a cockroach yeah. get elected into office. It's what happens. Like, do you even read? What is he talking about? I'm sorry, that just I don't that even quote know. just really got up under my skin about the AIDS <laughs> vaccine mandate. My God. All right. Um coming up next hour. I'm going to play a clip from uh, Justice Clarence Tom, uh, Thomas, who's basically Ugh. defending the Supreme Court um, and war- warned against destroying our institutions. That's a clip that I'm going to play That's next rich. hour. But before I give it over to Shar, I want to talk to you all about I'm Listening. It's a live two-hour show featuring some of the biggest names in music, sports, and insight from some of the most respected mental health professionals as we strive to destigmatize talking about mental health. Hear personal stories from Little Nas X, who just released an album, Billie Eilish, to Willow Smith, to Justin Bieber, and so many more. This year has brought out challenges and uncertainty to so many lives, but you are not alone. Join us Thursday, September 23rd uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. For, for I'm Listening right here and on the Odyssey app. And for more information, visit imlistening.org. Shar, what's happening in the team report? So there were reports swirling yesterday when a journalist uh, posted that Portia Williams is out for, and when I say out, I mean no longer part of the cast. I love, I for, love when you do Housewife talk. You for know? Real Housewives of Atlanta. Now, we know it's been a little rocky. I, I often say as a fan and a viewer, it's been rocky ever since NeNe turned back in her peach. NeNe was the central point. NeNe is, NeNe Leaks is the Real Housewives of Atlanta. But it's being rumored that Portia's out, even though an insider close to her says that, quote, nothing is finalized at this point. I am leaning towards the initial report that she's gone. Now, with this upcoming season 14, They've already been filming it, so I don't know why the insider is saying that things are still on the table. They started filming last summer. See, that's the thing. Some people said they were filming it. Others said they haven't even started filming yet. Well, that'll be interesting. That's so conflicting because Because they don't even have a cast yet. Traditionally, Real Housewives of Atlanta always debuts their new season right around Thanksgiving. Do you think it's the end of Real Housewives of Atlanta? They're they're struggling with the shakeup, but I do want to say this is what's being reported as far as what the season fourteen is going to look like. So they're saying that Candy Burris is scheduled to return, of course. Uh, Kenya Moore is scheduled to return. Drew Sedora from last season. Sheree Whitfield, one of my birthday twins. We both are January second babies, and other an unnamed new housewife now i don't know what this is going to look like because people like cynthia even though cynthia's storyline was a little dry she's a staple portia is a staple and like i said nini who's now been gone for two seasons was a staple so i don't know ryan to entertain the answer to your question i don't it looks like potomac has the crown when it comes to black women coming together in the name of housewives yeah and that's that's the interesting thing because a house a housewives of land hasn't given it to me in the ways that i've wanted it to give it to me and from prior seasons so i'm kind of 
were thinking, you know, it's it's coming to a close unless they it, unless Nene feels like she's ready to come back. Well, and, she and Andy would have to have some conversations <laughs> because they, they were they were doing some mudslinging. Yeah, so yeah, won. we'll see. But I should note that Portia does have her own show coming out. We don't know when it's going to debut, but she did tape a special. Yeah, and Portia is a fan favorite. Well, I don't, all right. I personally don't want to see Candy open up her eighth yeah. OLG. Or, you know, <laughs> Kenya beefing with Drew's wigs. Oh, my God. Well, thank you so much for that tea report. We got always more coming up at every hour on the hour. So make sure to stick around. Now, coming up next, the fine lines of being in an open relationship versus polyamory. We're finding out the lessons that one HuffPost writer learned in her experience up next. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. Now, I am very excited about this conversation that we're about to have because we've had a lot of relationship talk um, this week, you know, with Shar Jassel, who's filling in for Shira Lazar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, producer Vanessa found this article that touched on polyamory and, and kind of the, the fine line of an open relationship and, and kind of what you can learn about yourself and how you even handle, you know, ethical, non-monogamous relationships. And this wonderful person who wrote this HuffPost article, Dr. Kiana Nurse, she is a Brooklyn-based writer and historian who thinks through polyamory from a black feminist perspective. Honestly, I can't wait to talk to her. What's up, Miss Ma'am? How you doing? Oh, hello. Thank you for having me on tonight. You know what? I, like, I don't think I would want anyone else on tonight after reading your article because <laughs> your story on how to set this up, you know, you had a lover whose girlfriend asked him to dump you um, when y'all were kind of, you know, kindling and trying to figure it out. And you you said this taught you so many lessons, but I think I want to start from the beginning. Why mm-hmm. did you decide, why did you decide to practice, mon- like, you know, polyamory? polyamory. Yeah, what, what's kind of your thought process around that? Well, I have been ethically non-monogamous for four years now, but polyamorous for three. And oh, I transitioned into ethical non-monogamy with a long-term partner of mine that I had met in college And when I was in graduate school, I had to do a lot of traveling for research. So I would spend months at a time living in South America and dealing with the loneliness was a lot. And one of the ways that I kind of connected with people was potentially through dating. And so I approached my monogamous partner at that time and asked him what he thought about, you know, pursuing an open relationship. And initially it started out as us doing this when I was traveling. But when I came back to New York, you know, it was going so well. We were learning a lot about ourselves as individuals and sharing that information with each other. It was making our relationship better. And so we decided to continue doing it while we were both living in the same city. And again, we just kept having a lot of great success with it. And 
I finally transitioned to polyamory specifically when I met my second partner. And rather than just kind of wanting a casual relationship with him, you know, I fell in love. I wanted to develop a fully fledged relationship with him as well. And so that's when I made the transition to polyamory. Wow. And so that second partner, is that the one that you you wrote about in this HuffPost article? Or is this a completely different person? No, that's a completely different person. Gotcha. So um, the person I wrote about in the article was a friend of mine uh, that I actually met via Tinder two years ago. And on our first date, we clicked really well, had great conversation, but I could tell that there were some pretty significant differences in how we both approached um, ethical non-monogamy as an umbrella. So I was more in the polyamorous camp and he was more in the open relationship camp. And so um, we decided to stay friends because we still had a lot in common. And then, you know, this past summer decided to rekindle things. And so I wanted to talk about that experience. So, yeah, that was going to be my question, because as someone I've I've been on this show and I've said for years now that I'm a serial monogamist. (laughs) So I find these conversations Mm -hmm. truly fascinating. How do you temper or police, I guess, like the guidelines? Because I'm reading your your HuffPost op ed right now, and it mentions that you are polyamorous, but he was in an open relationship. So how do you all even begin to, I guess, how how do those boundaries get get set into play because from the outside looking in it looks like everything is subjective like I'm talking to you as a polyamorous woman and then Mm -hmm. you know I talk to the next woman who's polyamorous and she may have conflicting ideals or different rules than what you say Mm -hmm. so how do you all get to the nitty-gritty of that to decide whether or not to move forward and how also this is a two-part and also how do you you, like kind of temper because for me sex there's so much emotion involved. So how do you kind of temper that? Like, I've always said I'm not good at casual sex because I I get the feels. So walk Mm -hmm. me through this, please, uh, Kiana. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say um, in the same way that when you date someone monogamously, you look for the areas that you're compatible with that person in. And for me, that's how I approach the question of uh, polyamory itself, because Although polyamory is a subset of ethical non-monogamy, polyamory is also, you know, practiced in so many different ways. There are hierarchical styles, non-hierarchical, they're solo polyamorous. And so whenever I am um, initially dating someone, I have a series of, you know, kind of vetting questions that I'll ask to see if we are compatible and in what ways. And sometimes I see that we're not um, structurally compatible in terms of our ideas of what we think of for our committed relationships, but we might have a lot of things in common. And so in that case, we could have a more casual relationship. And again, everyone approaches this differently. But for me, that looks like, you know, not spending as much time together. And I also know to check my own um, feelings and expectations around their time, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. around, you know, how much I talk to them throughout the day or, or throughout the week, and also being very clear and transparent with them as to why I'm showing up to our relationship in that way. And so if I've assessed that we're actually not compatible because I practice non-hierarchical polyamory and someone practices hierarchical and we want to have a casual relationship, I will say, hey, I really like you. I still want to connect. I'm not going to attach to you emotionally significantly because I don't think this will work out, but we can still enjoy each other's company. Um, And if they agree with that, if they consent to that, then we move forward. And if not, then we don't. And for me, it's a constant process of really checking in with myself yeah, to make yeah. sure that I'm I'm okay with everything happening at every juncture. And if I'm not articulating that and having a conversation. Dr. Kiana, I just feel like you have such a, a whole, like a, a just, I mean, you're so mature when it comes to your feelings and everything. I want to keep you around because we're not done with this conversation. <laughs> um, it's so interesting because I want you to break down before we get into the lessons that you learned about this moment, particularly with your mm-hmm. friend. I want to mm-hmm. know 
what ethical means in, this, in say, this moment, well, right? And let's let's talk about it. We got to take a okay, quick little break. Okay, you ain't going nowhere because I feel like I picked up on context clues with some of the language. But I had a question about that as well. So okay. yeah, we got a lot more to talk about. We got more show coming up right up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. We are back and having a beautiful discussion about polyamory and the fine lines of what it means to have ethical non-monogamy and this experience from this uh, HuffPost writer who wrote about her experience, uh, Dr. Kiana Nurse, a Brooklyn-based writer and historian who thinks through polyamory from a Black feminist perspective. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Okay, so let's get into this because for me, I you kept throwing a word, the uh, ethical. Um, you were saying like mm-hmm. ethical non-monogamy. I just want to know in the context of this, what does that really mean? What does ethical mean? I think I know. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I think um, a lot of people, when they refer to ethical non-monogamy, they usually mean to say that they're in a relationship with someone and they and their partner have agreed to have mm-hmm. sexual relationships or sometimes emotional relationships with someone else, and everyone has fully consented and has the full knowledge of what's going on. So, in effect, ethical non-monogamy is not cheating. I but knew it. For me, yeah, for me, I, I have a, a little <laughs> bit more of an expansive definition of what that entails, because you can certainly be unethical in your practice of ethical non-monogamy, mm. even if you're not cheating. And that Ooh. looks like treating people disposably. You know, if you are in a primary relationship and you are and you have secondary partners or secondary relationships, not showing up with the same kind of intentionality and care and transparency and vulnerability in those relationships, to me, that does not feel ethical. So when I say ethical non-monogamy, I'm talking about a sustained, intentional practice of care and consideration for whoever it is you're engaging with romantically and sexually. And that also goes hand in hand with another term you used around, what is it, um, non-hierarchy polyamory? Yeah. Yeah. Because, Mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, if you have the hierarchy in the polyamory, there is a primary relationship and then all others are just kind of like, you know, by the wayside. But if they're, (laughs) if it's like a non-hierarchy, then everybody's kind of, it's like a level playing field, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. yeah, somewhat uh, true. I think we have a particular way that we talk about hierarchy in polyamorous circles, which is very much tied to the extent to which you allow your primary relationship to dictate what happens in your other relationships. And so um, I practice non-hierarchy precisely because I don't want a primary relationship dictating the terms of what I get to do with someone else. Um, I've been, you know, in that situation before where, you know, my partner had a primary partner that was very uncomfortable with some of the things that we wanted to do that ostensibly had nothing to do with, you know, this other partner, you know, wasn't harming them. And it's sim- simple things like wanting to leave a toothbrush at a partner's house or wanting to go mm-hmm. away for the weekend. Um, and so I think it's just you when you have a relationship that empower people, you can't put them in positions that another relationship is dictating what happens to them. Yeah, and that's somewhat what you kind of wrote about in this article where this person's partner literally asked your lover to dump you because they did not feel comfortable with the arrangement anymore. And I wondered, what lessons did that teach you about the way that you kind of move forward in these, you know, situations? Well, it taught me a lot about the importance of sitting with discomfort and also the impact your actions can have on others. Um, As I shared in the second half of the article, I definitely understand how it can be very emotionally taxing to see your partner, you know, falling in love with someone else or, you know, forming an intense emotional connection with someone else. 
And part of the, you know, why going to therapy and really prioritizing your mental health and polyamory is super critical because a lot of childhood trauma, a lot of your Mm -hmm. attachment style can be activated when you see, you know, your partner connecting with someone else. And so I had a lot of compassion and sympathy, you know, for this other person and as they were struggling to transition into polyamory. But I also, and so I've experienced that as well, but I think having partners who have firm boundaries for themselves, who have healthy boundaries for themselves, and that tell you no can actually be really helpful Mm. for you to grow in that space of discomfort. I love everything from your perspective, because I have to tell you, as a girl out here on the dating apps, there are so many cishet men that that think they want polyamory until until the (laughs) women start advocating for multiple boyfriends. (laughs) Then the conversation shifts. Yeah, Yeah, Um, we we have a a term for that actually called one penis policy. Don't ever agree to that. It's trash. Absolutely trash. uh, Let let me tell you something. They do that non-ethically every day. Okay, (laughs) They do that non-ethically. I have encountered that that policy (laughs) and i I think for me you know the the, what uh, while reading this article and we were having a conversation off air was about like okay i think i would be open to the ideas of an open relationship but i'm not sure if i would be open to the ideas of polyamory and i wonder if someone's thinking that same thing how do they you know discover that more how do they kind of find themselves in that world a little bit more because it seems like it's a little bit difficult to even figure it out unless you're in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. And um, I would say two things. One is community always. And I have entrenched myself in a lot of different kinds of ethically non-monogamous communities over the years just to get a variety of perspectives, a variety of stories of how people approach this. And secondly, you're right. You don't know until you're in it. And so in my own case, I was non-monogamous with a primary partner and I couldn't wrap my head around the idea of polyamory, let alone non-hierarchical polyamory. And it wasn't until I was, you know, casually dating as I did in an open relationship that I met someone and I fell in love with with that person. And luckily, you know, my primary partner at the time was also dating someone else and fell in love with that person. And so we kind of had this moment where we discussed it with each other and said, hey, I think we want to, you know, do this polyamory thing more significantly. And the transition was pretty, um, was pretty seamless thereafter. Wow. Oh, my God. Well, Dr. Kiana Nurse, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story and really putting some beautiful insight on this, because I I feel like there's just so much that you've learned about yourself, but I even want to learn about myself and these experiences. Well, thank you for having me and allowing me to talk more about the article. If anyone is interested in learning more about polyamory, there are so many great books that have been written that are coming out. You know, there are also a lot of great people on social media, particularly Black queer femmes talking a lot about polyamory. I'm a student at their feet, so please follow them as well. Um, and yeah, it's, I think that a lot of people are becoming more interested in it. And it's nice to actually have like people of color and black people particularly talking more about it. Oh, yes. yes, ma'am. All right. If y'all want to uh, continue to check out all things Dr. Kiana Nurse, um, follow her on Twitter. It's literally her name. And then, of course, her, her article on HuffPost. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you. 
Thank you for having me. Okay, so now coming up, we got a lot to talk about. A professor is requiring people to attend his class in person, but guess what? He's not showing up himself. Uh, there's this huge debate. We're going to discuss it. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. Okay, so now who is in the wrong? A college professor, he was making all his students uh, come in to class, right? In-person attendance. Why not? If mm-hmm. He feels like, why not? But the, the, the thing here that everyone was kind of like, what is going on? He wasn't showing up. So he was making all of his students, which seems like it was a lot of students. And somebody posted a video on this um, uh, TikTok, which requi- like basically sparked this whole debate on who was in the wrong here. Because the video shows students taking notes in class while the professor himself is physically absent in teaching virtually from home and this literally got 600,000 views and 63,000 comments um and honestly you know I don't know what I think about this is, is it that big of a deal what do you think Char well I think it can be as someone like I remember when I was going to church there was a point in time when the the leaders of the, of the church that I was going to they started opening up a different building in in Denver and I would be so upset when I would physically go to church and then they lower down the PowerPoint screen oh. and they're being satellite. Like, yeah, I did, the overflow rooms. No, yeah, but this was the main sanctuary. Oh. Because they're in Denver preaching and oh. it's being broadcast to LA. Yeah, I hate that. That's different. So That's I'm, like, not yeah. a, I'm not really a fan of that. I'm someone who, like, I don't think I would have survived virtual learning as it is because I'm someone who needs a hand-on approach. Um, so that just yeah. seems unfair. I do wonder how they handle tardies because I remember Shout out to Dr. Montgomery, who would literally <laughs> lock the door. Okay, you would, she would lock the door, and you would have an absence. And in my university, six absences means that they could drop you from the class. And we all know how expensive college courses are. So I wonder yeah. how things like that are dictated. But this guy also looks older, I'm so not it might be COVID concerns. If you if you were me. Or if you are me, and when I was going to college, I did not care about skipping a class. I especially see, we I, talked about that. I was not, um, especially now. I, I wonder how I would have handled it, even in the middle. Where we're still in the pandemic, I, would I probably not have wouldn't survived. have gone. Virtual learning, I would not have survived. But when I was in college, I was I very very rarely skipped class, very rarely. And my thing is, I feel like maybe he feels that students will pay more attention if they are in a classroom setting mm-hmm. versus being at home through Zoom where you can get distracted by your dog. You can get distracted what's on the TV. You can get distracted sh- what's going on outside. All Anna these- should be noted, what course is this? Is this class 50 minutes or is yeah. it an hour 50 minutes? You know? So many of the 445 comments about this um, <laughs> were very interesting. One read, this happened in my class and the professor emailed me asking if I could personally turn the projector on. Which it feels like, honestly, this is the new norm. Like, we kind of have to get used to this in some sorts. I don't, I genuinely don't find this to be that big of a deal. And I think it makes sense because teachers are not, teachers are not getting the respect that is owed to them during this process. Like, people are just expecting teachers to They weren't getting the respect that was owed to them before COVID. Exactly. And now people don't care even more. And so for me. You know, in college, you groan and you could cough if you want to and all of that. for yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, as a as a peer, I would not want to be in that room because you don't know who's vaccinated, who's not. You just don't know what it is. But I'm thinking like from the, t- the professor's vantage point, it might be easier to take attendance or easier to answer questions, yeah. you know. So, who well, knows? We always love it when you let us know your thoughts at LGT Show everywhere on the social meets. Now, coming up, um, we are talking about Haley Bieber, you know, Justin Bieber's wife. 
She um, is basically talking about if she cares or not, if she's just labeled Justin's wife or not. Yeah, that's coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. All right, we got more show coming up, of course, where we are talking. Oh, my God. This is really interesting. There's this new study um, that just revealed how much free time you actually need to be happier. Mm. And I can't wait. You know, these studies always say they got the key to life, basically. Yeah. And I don't... It's all subjective. (laughs) But I am interested in knowing what they say. But I'm also, like, I'm the type of person that reads these things and then either is in therapy, but then forgets all about the tools to actually make these things happen. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. We'll talk about it. That's coming up next this hour, of course. And then, of course, in the T-Report, we have uh, Justin Bieber's wife. She actually maybe hates being called that. We're going to talk about if she minds or, or not. Or maybe she loves it. Uh-huh. Now, let's get into what's trending this hour. Justice Clarence Thompson um, Thomas. Thomas defends the independence of the Supreme Court. Uh, to yesterday, actually. Here's what he's talking about. Do that. We begin to venture into uh, political, uh, uh, the legislative or executive branch lanes and resolving things that are better left to those branches. Those of us, particularly in the federal judiciary with lifetime appointments, are asking for trouble. Uh, I think a lot of the pressure uh, the, that on, on the nomination and selection process is because of that. I think the court was re- was thought to be the least dangerous brand. I'm literally yawning. Yeah, my like, God, ever. That's that's. Isn't that he the that. second Supreme Court judge after Amy Coney Barrett to come out and say like, "Oh, we're not one-sided." There's <laughs> some nonsense that they said. In the name of y'all are conservatives. So in the name of Anita Hill, Clarence, mm-hmm. shut up. Can I say shut up on air? Uh, yeah. Okay. We've said, I mean, I've said worse things on air before. Uh, yes, you have. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Todd, that's your uh, top of the hour. Of course, every hour. It's time for the T-Report. What's going on there? Well, you know, Haley Baldwin recently stopped by Demi Lovato's podcast and there Demi asked uh, Bieber if she was okay being called quote Justin's wife and this is on Lovato's podcast titled 4D with Demi Lovato this just dropped this morning by the way Um, and so she went on to say um, at the end of the day where's the lie when you marry someone that is really well known you also accept that a lot of the time people are going to be like oh yeah that's blah blah blah's wife it doesn't bother me um, it should. I should mention that Baldwin is 24 and Lovato's 29. Now, see, this is something that I don't think would bother me if I if my husband's more well known than me. I mean, I have my own identity, and and I should mention that uh, Baldwin went on to say that she has her own like professional work connections. Like, it's not anything that's stumping her. The only from reason anything. why I feel like I uh, I even like consider her someone like a celebrity or anything is because Beyonce likes her. That's literally it. And I'm not even sure. I mean, well, she's a Baldwin, so she inherited it because her uncles. Baldwin is gross. But her uncles, there's Steve. There's a the Baldwin brothers are famous. They're famous. It goes beyond Alec Baldwin. True, 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 true. So I guess for me, she just hasn't set up her own thing. No no one knows who she is outside of Justin Bieber, and I think that's important because you can lose. She's a model. You can. I mean, that's it. She's among the Kylie Jenner and Bella Hadid of it all. But that that's my thing is you don't have an identity. 
outside of that, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it can get tricky when your identity gets whittled down to your spouse. But if I end up marrying someone who's more well known than me, I don't know. I can't say that I would. I would mind it. Right. I can't say that. Well, thank you for that T-Report. If you want to check out more about that story and more about 40 with Demi Lovato, head over you to You never said if you would mind app. it. I did. I was setting it up for you. Oh, I do. Oh, okay. And well, I, here's the thing. I have my own established life outside of this, and so I don't care. I mean, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I do too. Very much so. All right. Now, coming up next, we got to talk about this new study that's telling us um, that they have the key to happiness and how much free time you actually need to be happy. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, you might want to listen up. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, so let's talk about free time. And do you think that's like subjective, like free time when it comes to like your happiness? Like, do you think you need it or you don't need it? I think you definitely need it. I've been cocooning for about a month now. Really? Yeah, and it hasn't been. I was just telling one of my friends who was checking on me. I'm like, it has not been something. Because, you know, I check in with myself. Yeah. It hasn't been something intentional. It has. I've just been listening to my body, and I don't really feel like being social or being around people. I've been enjoying my time in my apartment with my remote and some good food. Well, it's really interesting because I feel and like... I'm happy. <laughs> Free time, I've that my definition of free time has changed so much, especially even since I moved out here to Los Angeles, because one of the reasons why I moved out here was to work, right? Mm-hmm. And I did I thought free time meant laziness. Free time meant no. you're not using your time wisely enough if you just sitting around. You're that's not how, a robot, Ryan. I, I know, but that's how my brain was programmed. Okay. And I think I still have a little bit of that, but I'm still more so now focused on the balance of saying, well, there needs to be an important balance of work life and personal life. It can't all just be work, Because if work, you don't work, balance work, work. it out, if you don't sit it down, your body's going to sit you down. And you don't want to pass out walking down a flight of steps because you didn't sit down <laughs> for two days like you were supposed to. No, it's so true. <laughs> and there's a, a, a new study, according to Huffington Post, um, released last week. Researchers analyzed data from two large-scale surveys about how Americans spend their time. Together, the survey included more than uh, 35,000 respondents. Why don't I ever get asked to do these surveys? I never get asked. I feel like they always skip over me. Like, how do people know? Anyway, the the researchers found that people with more free time generally had a higher levels of subjective well-being, but only up to a point. Um, People uh, who had up to two hours of free time a day generally reported that they felt better than those who had less time. But people who had five or more hours of free time a day generally said they felt worse. For me, if I had that much free time, four or five hours, I would be like, Ryan, you're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. You are awful. I mean, literally, how can you be more productive? As a permalancer, I literally have to find ways to occupy myself sometimes. Most times, I got something to do. But there are certain days where I'm like, in all honesty, I'm okay going to Target, running errands, yeah. and picking up some food and, and coming home. Even that and responding me, to two emails. I'm sorry. Even I'm the, done. Even <laughs> that can make me anxious of being like, I, you know, I'll be like, oh yeah, I got some stuff done. I got errands done. I got some stuff done around the house. But then even if it's just like, if I didn't go out or do anything else, it'll still feel like that's not enough. But apparently, the sweet spot there is. Um, a sweet spot for free time might be two to three hours per day if you want that true, nice sweet spot of happiness. Do you agree? 
I do because I carve out most of my work days don't start till 11 a.m., but I'm up at 6.37 a.m. Okay, tell me so your schedule. So my what free doing? time, I wake up, and if I, if I go work out, uh, that's from like 7 to 8. If I'm not working out, I'm watching Good Morning America, and then Good Morning America goes into The View, which then goes into Tamron, which then goes into Wendy, <laughs> which then goes into the 11 o'clock news, and that's typically when I start working. But I had to set myself on that schedule because I noticed that I was living and dying by my email. Like I would be emailing it at 1 a.m. and then also opening my eyes and the first thing I'm doing is reaching for my phone and respond to texts and tweets and email. So giving myself that breath just to have like a cup of tea or some cold brew and laugh with Joy Behar right. or Robin Roberts, that is part of my morning routine now, Monday through Friday. And so I guess as I've been talking about, productive is such a subjective word. Did you Do you feel productive when you have a day like that? Yeah, I mean, well, much like you, my definition has changed throughout the years. When I was younger, I was a little worker bee robot type person, but I realized, I think what it is, is once you realize that all it takes is for you to get a tickle in your throat and have to be sat down and it takes nothing for a lot of these companies and corporations to replace you, yeah. like you are replaceable, like, you know, like yeah. very replaceable. It changed my outlook on work. Not saying that I don't give the best quality of work because I do, but it changed my outlook as far as like. You know, we've talked about this, mm -hmm. like the demand, like yeah. there's an urgency that people enter my inbox with. And it's like it's it's really not that deep. It's never that deep. <laughs> like it's going to get because done. you don't urgently pay me. Yeah. Ooh. But you urgently want the service. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things for me where I'm like, I have to find the happy medium because if I accumulate medical bills, mm. I'm the one that's going to have to take care of that. The entities that I work for are not going to be sending me get well soon cards or trying to take care of, of, of something if I develop, if my nervous system shocks and now I have migraines I can't yeah. get rid of. And I'm talking about Nurtech with Khloe Kardashian. Is that mentality of like the go, go, go productivity of like what we're talking about is was our definition before now about productivity? Do you think that is a, a part of how we were raised? Like what? Why? Yes. Why, why were we yes. so kind of like, why did we think like that? I think a lot of black people and we've talked about this before. I don't know if we've ever talked about it on air, but it's that it goes back to like that speech and scandal, you mm -hmm. know, where where Papa Pope told her you have to work three times as hard to get half as much. Yeah. And I think a lot of us have that embedded in our in our brain because we've yeah. seen mediocre non people of color get opportunities and kind of fail up. And we got to, you know, it's got to be where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. But I also think there's toxicity in that, honestly, because Ooh. at the end of the day, your work. Uh, networking and connections are going to be what they're going to be. People are more likely to get hired in positions based off of personality. Are you that, well liked? That is true. That I mean, from you I, can do the work, but are you well liked? That is if you're not well that liked, I've learned. I mean, because you can be the hardest working person here, yeah. and and deliver good work and deliver 150 percent or more work. And if people don't like you, then they're overlooking you because yep. you're not enjoyable to be around with yep. for six to eight hours a day. Exactly. And so I, I think that is that is very very important and I, I just wonder do you think as we we see you know Gen Z kind of taking on uh, these moments where they're talking about four four day work weeks which I think we'll see in our lifetime do, do you genuinely believe I, I don't do. think we will capitalism will never allow us to do I that do, I think we'll have to pay a capitalistic price yeah but I, I see that happening as far as like Gen Z when they enter politics I can certainly see a four hour work week happening but the cost of living so. ain't going down that's the thing <laughs> and that's the like, problem y'all gonna get y'all four day work week and three day weekend but rent still 
going to be what rent now is. Now, that is a problem <laughs> that we will never get to. Okay, well, we got to wrap this conversation, which is really good, by the way. I really enjoyed that. Two hours, two to three hours is, you know, the sweet spot for happiness. And I need mine wondering. in my mornings. Some people need theirs in their evenings or midday. I need mine in my mornings. And I'm a yeah. morning person, but I just, you know, I, I journal. I talk to God. Like, look, I got things going on in the morning. All right, next <laughs> up. We got to talk about, we're, I mean, we are really talking about the dating stuff today. Producer Vanessa is really trying what to. What a way to go into I, the weekend. I think Producer Vanessa is telling me that she's tired of me being single and I need to figure it out. <laughs> I think that's what she's saying. She's like, I'm tired of hearing about it. And specifically, this next topic is about it. Here's what to say when a date bells on you. Wow, that's awkward. I just don't reply. I don't know. We'll talk about it coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Oh, the complicated world of dating. And we are both uh, dating. We're both on the apps. If we are. You, you know, and um, I have I have never been on a date where anyone has ever, you know, bailed on me. I can't say that's been my... I have. Uh, real. Oh, I think you may have told me about this. Yeah, it was in March. I was talking to a guy for maybe two weeks, and uh, I went to Palm Springs, and when I got back, we had planned on going to brunch on that Saturday morning that I got back. And that Saturday morning, I woke up, I got dressed, and I told him, hey, I'm about to be leaving out on my way. And to this day, I've never heard from him. And you know wow. my little uh, ticky-ticky-boom journalistic but I checked the death records. <laughs> I checked the jails. She was looking at the obituaries. I'm like, did he die? Was he arrested? And he's not in either one of them. So uh, I ended up, what I did end up doing to keep myself in good yeah. spirits is I went on a date for one and I was just fine. I, went I to, love that. Treat I went yourself. To, and I had something really fatty like the loaded grits Ooh, with the shrimp. Yes. A tall Bloody Mary. I had a great Saturday oh, morning. You do love Bloody Marys. That's where you ruined Ooh, it. I do. No, but here's the thing. I, um, <laughs> I you I we I've talked about this on the show that I I would never I I've never like I said I've I've never been bailed on but I I am someone who has ghosted in the past, um, but ghosted in text messaging on the dating apps not like in person not, I'm not like doing set that. up a date and yeah, never show up I'm not doing that yeah well sure between the break because we're gonna talk about what you do with someone date like bails on you but there's this viral TikTok. You have to go. Her name is Mason on the mic. She's oh a my God. she's a radio host from Dallas, Texas. It's at Mason on the mic. <laughs> go to her TikTok and watch the saga. We well, have a clip. We're though. gonna play a little bit of it because yeah, she went on uh, uh, her first date and she was stood up, but it just got crazier after this. Here is that moment. I had a first date planned for Friday. I took a nap so that I would be all rested and fresh. I showered. <laughs> I did my hair. I looked good. And then I sat in a restaurant for a half hour waiting for him, and he never showed up. He then called me two hours later to let me know that his dad was in the hospital. And then he called me after that to tell me that his dad wasn't actually in the hospital and that he lied. He then proceeded to leave me about five or six additional voicemails. I would like to present them to you now. And it's Brad again. So it's been it's been an hour, and I haven't really heard from you, um, which I don't think is very cool. Uh, I talked to my friends, and they said I should have heard something from you by now. Uh, I know you're busy with work and everything like that, but you know I just basically spilled my guts to you, and you know was super honest with you, and I just don't think that it's fair that you're not calling me back. Mm -mm. Um, Even the way he said that, it was bone chilling. I'm sorry, that 
what in the psychopath is that? Like, I don't know what I would do. I would literally just block his number. The fact that he even got through to uh, to even leave those voicemails, I would have never done it. But and I his get, mother, we should note that his mother started leaving voicemails. It gets wilder and wilder. Yeah, there's all. a whole thread that is I don't know. It's just insane. But I guess this brings us to I guess how do you what what do you really say to a date when they bail on you? Like, what's some of your go tos? I don't say anything because it's over. Really? Yes. What if they have a really good excuse? I'm sorry. Communication is key. Yeah. So if they tell you, oh, I have to, I'm saying, so like, sorry, I have to oh, cancel last, last minute, minute, like yeah. I got to go pick up, da da da. Yeah. Okay. You know what? The first time would be the only time. I'll put it that way. <laughs> first time would be the only time, and it has to be a really, really good excuse. It has to be yeah. a really, really good excuse, and you got to make it up to me. How are you going to make it up to me? When I was in New York, um, I met a guy. And we were supposed to hang out, right? Um, and we it was like the day of what we were supposed to hang out. I was actually looking forward to it all day. Um, and then he hit me up later, like not towards the, the time of the date, but uh, he hit me up being like, oh my God, hey, I just wanted to be honest with you. Like, I'm not feeling well. I'm having some type of COVID symptoms. Oh no. And I, I, I want to get tested. Good I don't want to be around <laughs> you. I don't want to get you sick because I know you're here for a big thing. Yeah. And I actually really respected it, right? Like, I was like, okay. In that I, case, I'd rather like you tell bailing. me. Yeah. Yeah. Then try to power through. Exactly. And so I was like, okay, this this feels great because we're still texting now. Like, you know, we're okay. sexually. Um, but I don't know if I'm into the long distance thing. But I, I wasn't really even sure how to respond to him because I was just like, oh, is he being honest with me? Or is he just well, like Well, see, that's dangerous to go down that rabbit hole. You got to take something like that for face value because something like COVID, you can't challenge. That's you can't true. Challenge. And that's that's why it makes the playing feel a bit different. I, now. I did have someone once upon a time tell me that they take a rain check. Like I I, I went to HM and bought a new outfit. I was leaving HM. And they're like, can we take a rain check? And he never rescheduled. We saw each other months later. Wow. Okay, so when yeah. we get when we get back, we're gonna uh we tried to reach out to a dating expert, but of course all dating experts are like, Oh, well, we want a weekend too. Okay. Um, and so we're just going to tell you some advice that we see from this bustle article. Cool. I think that's cute. Yep. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. Back to our conversation, Charge I Sell, about what you say when a date bails on you. And we played this hilarious <laughs> that we were still watching in the break of this lady who basically got bailed on. And then the guy that bailed on her ended up harassing her and getting his I mother even, involved. I wouldn't even too much say, by the way, her at is uh, her her handle is at Mason on the mic. I wouldn't even say just for clarification purposes, Ryan, he technically ghosted her. Would we say that bailing is when someone communicates and lets you know I have to yeah, bail? yeah. I think for the we need to hone in on that language. So yeah, you want to be clear about what that language is. A bail is going to be like, "Hey, babe, yeah. can't make it." Yeah. Versus ghosting is no call, no show. Well, here's the thing: when someone bails on you, you still want to leave that opportunity to um, make sure that there's another opportunity that they want to come back. Right. And so that depends on how you respond to their bailing. And uh, according to. And their excuse for the bail. True. And according to bustle.com, you can either say, from, I understand, let me know when you're available to reschedule. Or it happens. And if you're interested instead, let's check out that new restaurant on Sunday instead. Mm -hmm. Actually, that's a pretty interesting one because. I will never. Really? No. And and that means you want to see them and you're giving, you're saying, well, what about this day? I'm following up. I mean, I'm so serious. 
it's about see, that, seeing See, that's you. the way you look at it. The way I look at it is if you bail, the ball is in, now in your court to set up the next shindig. Is that your traditionalism jumping out? I don't know if that's traditionalism. I think, no, because if, if I had to bail, if something came up, yeah. I would be the one to initiate to the next interaction. Okay. All right. I'm not going to be like, oh, you can't make it? Well, what about Sunday? Do you want to go grab a bagel? No, I would like the person who bailed on me to make that proposition. What about this one? Uh, they say, no worries. I have a lot going on this week, but maybe we can catch up next weekend. Not have a interested. great night. Not a, that person is not interested <laughs> in you, child. That means that person got <laughs> options, okay? Well, I mean, and, and the, actually a psychologist um, said this in this uh, Bustle article saying, it's okay to play a little hard to get, which I think it is because that leaves people wanting to have you a I little think, bit more. They, what was Wait, what was the first one? That no worries. I have a lot going on this no, week. No, the first one that you read. Uh, the first one that I read is, it happens. If you're interested, let's check out that new restaurant. No, on that Sunday was the instead. second one. You read, oh my goodness. You read the first one. Okay. I've read a couple at this point. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, oh no, it's thanks for letting me know. Thanks for letting that's, me know. That's very me. <laughs> thanks for letting yeah, me know. Yeah, I hope everything is okay. I hope you're, yeah. I hope every. I hope you get that resolved. Thanks for letting me know. That is very Charjassel <laughs> right what there. What are you, HR? No. Are you sitting here like, a, I, hope, I hope you get that resolved. I hope everything <laughs> that you have gets resolved. Thanks for letting me know. If you would like to oh see me God. again, the ball is now in your court. I, this is fascinating, though. I because, feel like saying thanks for letting me know is just too short and sweet. It kind of gives you no, like, if I was to get that, I would be like, well, do they want to see me again or do they not want to see me again? The thing is, you have to take into consideration that person's uh, pissosity because <laughs> there is nothing worse. I'm thinking about putting my, my lip gloss wand down or yeah. jumping in my skims. Could you imagine getting dressed? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's good that to get bailed. Irritating. It's good to get bailed on if you just stepped out of the shower or yeah. headed to the shower. Yeah. But could you imagine getting dressed, steaming your outfit, getting dressed? Have it, imagine being at the door about to twist the knob to go to your car and yeah. someone bails on you. Well, I think it's more frustrating as we wrap this up. I think it's more frustrating for you because you be like you do glam. Yeah. Like if I'm you, going on a date, for me, I'm, I'm like, glam. okay, I'm like, I, I got a nice haircut. I'm not putting, I'm not beating my face or anything. Someone said, here's one that says, that's too bad. I was looking forward to meeting you, but I totally understand. That's also something right. I would say. Okay. That's not that's a bad one. That's also something I would say. That's not a bad one. Let us know yours. And actually, if you want to watch that, that TikTok video that we posted earlier, well, not posted, but we play it a little bit earlier. Um, we just retweeted the thread on our Twitter at LGT show. So you can check it out because like I said, the mom's voicemails. Hilarious! It involves barbecue sauce. Got a bottle of that barbecue that. sauce. He really makes a good one. He make a lot of money. His father let me have a part time job. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. It is time for my favorite segment of the day. It, yes, Queen, where we basically give a huge shout out to anyone making history or doing some amazing impact in their community. And this one goes out to Megan Rohr, who makes history as the first trans bishop in a mainstream wow. U.S. denomination. Incredible, wow. right? Yeah. So the Evangelical Lutheran Church has anointed its first transgender bishop, becoming the first of to do so. Uh, Megan was installed at... Um, a service held in San Francisco Grace Cathedral on Saturday, kicking off a six-year term in the Sierra Pacific Synod. Mm-hmm. The 41-year-old made national headlines in May after being elected to the position in which Megan will oversee more than 200 congregations in California and Nevada. And the Evangelical Lutheran Church counts over 3.3 million followers in the U.S. So this is my thing. You know, I I was raised Baptist. We often talk, you and I both are products. We're mm-hmm. church kids. Yes, 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 yes. I 
just know evangelicals to be the most forest of the most right. Well, um, but I don't know how Lutheran adds a sprinkling on see, to that. See, that's the thing, right? And she actually said that they are uh, called in their new position to, quote, be up to the same messy, loving things I was up to before, but, quote, mostly if you'll let me, and I think you will. My hope is to love you and beyond that and to love what you love. It'll be interesting to see how this pr- plays out because I know how evangelicals can be. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, firsthand experience. I know how they can be too. Yeah. Um, but that is your yes, Queen. Shout out Congrats. to Megan. You, th- you're just making some incredible Congrats, change. Bishop Roar. Right. Come through. <laughs> now that was our beautiful, beautiful show. I just want to give a big thank you to Char Jassel for joining me this week. Oh, thank you for having you me. You were so wonderful. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. The feelings mutual. All right, and you obviously you can stay uh, connected to Char where at Char says so on everything, and that's Char with an S, and that says so. Char says so. Period. And it is time for the weekend, honey. It's time for me to get Ooh. up off this mic. If you are partying tonight, well, why don't you party with What's Poppin' with DJ Alex D? Because she has the mix, the tunes that will get you through everything. And of course, Monday, Shira is back from Alaska. Catch up on everything for, um, that on our show that you have may have missed on the Odyssey app. So stick with it there, honey. That's it for me. I'm tired. I'm going. Always remember to slay. Thank you always for listening. Bye, y'all. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey.